Hello, once, welcome once again to the Pace and Space podcast, where we guarantee we are not putting our all-season plans on a whiteboard and showing it to the world. Once again, I'm your host, Calvin, and with me as always is my co-host, Leif. What's going on, Leif? Man, I'm dancing like Lance. How about you? Me too, man. Lance will make him dance. And he's definitely making them dance in Indiana this week. That was a surprising signing, uh, seeing Lance Stevenson go back to the Pacers. But, you know, they're, they're looking for answers, and maybe Lance is that answer. But, uh, you know, what's going on with you, man? How, how's everything going? Man, I'm doing okay. You know, I really can't complain. I'm just like everyone else. I'm waiting to see when Westbrook's going to break the big O's record. And mm-hmm, God, mm-hmm. he got close last game, so... Hopefully on Friday he can do it. Yeah, he was a uh, one rebound shy, right? One rebound, and you know what's crazy about it? Everyone looks at it and they're saying, "Wow, you know, one rebound short, man!" And they're all disappointed. They forget my man put up forty five points. <laughs> I know, I know, it was a great game. In any other respect, it was a phenomenal game. And uh, that there's been some talk about the th- the triple double. And because of the way people are viewing it just like that, there's been some pushback where people say, why do we put so much emphasis on the triple-double when somebody can have, like we just said, like a 45, 12, and 9 game? That's way better than a guy just that just puts up 10, 10, 10. But if a guy puts up 10, 10, 10, it's a triple-double and we make a big deal out of it. What do yeah, you think you, about that? Yeah, I think that's the problem. You know, they, you, you look at the stats, you get a triple-double. I think what's happening is the triple-double is actually becoming a watered-down stat. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to blame that on, on Westbrook himself or the, the league for putting in such a big onus on the triple-double. But, yeah, you know, someone gets 10-10-10, and all of a sudden now you're flipping out. Oh, wow, you know, he got a triple-double. But, I mean, I think a 45 point game with you know 12 assists and nine rebounds is more attractive to me definitely and that's that's also been kind of the argument for Harden lately in the MVP race people are, people have been saying are we really going to hold against James Harden that he's not averaging two more rebounds a game when he's you know averaging so many points so many assists and he's still close to that 10 rebound mark Uh, But, yeah, it's definitely been a lot of debate about the triple-double in recent weeks, namely because Russell Westbrook is getting so many of them, and he has now tied Oscar Robertson's record, a record really nobody thought was ever going to be caught, quite frankly. Because when you look at those numbers, too, you also remember that Big O was averaging like 44 minutes a game, which is ridiculous. Yeah, that is ridiculous. And what's crazy also to think about it, that season, you would think, okay, he won, he would have won the MVP award, but he didn't that year. No. Yeah. So even with a triple, even with that triple double, I mean, that wasn't enough to get him over. No. But like you said, we've been seeing some great performances from a lot of players. We've been seeing some great performances from Russ. Been seeing some great games from Harden from Kawhi basically all the people who want to put their hat in the ring for MVP and we've had a couple of really big performances in the last week from LeBron James as well there was that big matchup between him 
and uh, Paul George in that Cavs versus Pacers game. That, that was an amazing back and forth between the two of them. And then we had the game this week, which is really what I wanted to get into with you, is that complete performance he had against the Celtics where they just thumped them. They, they blew him out of their own gym. And it was, it was a statement game, I think. It was also the type of statement game we've been waiting for the Cavs to have. Um, all of March, people were waiting. Like, oh, you know, they're going to be fine. They just got to turn on the switch. But they kept losing game after game. And they were losing games against opponents you wanted to see them get up for, get up for those games. But now, finally, we're in the first week of April. And it seems like maybe a button has been pressed or a flip has Excuse me, a flip has been switched, or has it, Leif? What do you think? Ha- have the Cavs turned a corner, or was this just one game in a vacuum where perhaps the Celtics didn't play the way they should have? Well, they're on a four-game win streak, so they've been doing this for for the last week. And I said before that they, are, they, they will have the ability to flip that switch and get going. And while LeBron says that it was... Uh, just another regular season game. He's been to six straight final appearances. I I know that they looked at this as more than just a regular game. It was a statement game. Yeah. I with mean, that but, said, with, mm-hmm, go ahead. But with that said, I, I do think that they are figuring things out. It's not like they played extraordinarily great. Mm. Um, they played They played well. I mean, they, you, you still saw LeBron on the floor longer than you would want him on the floor. He still plays 39 minutes. Right. They played well. You know, I think what you saw, too, is them shortening their lineup big time. So you saw that they were trying to win this game. Yeah. And, yeah. And so much for, remember how LeBron was saying how he needed to have that, that person off the bench. Yeah, right. The right. didn't play too much this game. They wanted this game desperately. And they needed the game, in all honesty. This was a big match, especially when you consider the Celtics and the Cavs have been seesawing back and forth with the number one seed the last last week or so. And Celtics, they, they want that number one seed. And I'm sure the, while the Cavs may feel like they don't need it, it's definitely better to have it than not. So I think both both teams were were looking to maybe make a statement to hold on to that first seed in the East, and the Cavs came out on top with the statement. Matt, do you think they wasted too much energy trying to win this game, or do you think that the statement that they gave was worth the, the amount of energy they put into that game, the amount of minutes they played at this late in the season? If who wasted effort, uh, the Cavs? The Cavs. No, I don't. And the reason I say that is because I know you're saying that you believe they could have always flipped the switch. I don't think that's true of this team. I don't think that they have the ability to do that. I think they needed to get themselves in gear from now. Because as I said before, I don't think they have the defensive personnel to just turn it on. They have to still figure out a lot of things on defense. And I think part of what helped them so much was the fact that they got an unexpected amount of clarity in their roster with Tristan Thompson sitting the game out. Part of their problem is 
they oh, have a roster that doesn't exactly fit. Even still, even three years later, even a championship later, their five best guys, it's hard to put them all on the court at the same time. It's hard to have Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson in the, on the court at the same time. And I think that's what creates a lot of their problems, both offensively and defensively. I know they're, they're still a pretty good offensive team. Uh, it's been more of the, on the defensive end that's the problem. But when you take Love and or Thompson out of that lineup, you can do a lot more things, namely put LeBron at the four, which is what happened against Boston. And you see, we talk about this so much. He needs to play the power forward position, especially now in today's NBA. He doesn't want to do it for whatever reason, but you just see how much more dangerous that team is when he's at the four. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, yeah. He, he, he will thrive at the four. We saw how... Um, Melo thrived at the four when he had the opportunity mm-hmm. to play the four. And LeBron is that type of player who he has the body for it. He has the speed. He has the agility. He would make a good you know, stretch four. But you mentioned something before that that I don't want to skip over. You said that they played better with Tristan Thompson not in a starting five. Is that what you were alluding to? No, I meant... I'm not saying they're better off without him. I just mean when they're better off when they don't have both Love and Thompson on the court at the same time. Ah, gotcha. And I think it showed because you swap one of those guys out with Channing Fry, the roster just makes a lot more sense. Um, the lineups make a lot more sense, and you're able to get more of LeBron at the four, which is really the best scenario for this team, for him. It, it just it makes so much sense. But like you said, um, it's just something he doesn't do. And also, the other side of this is, I just don't think Boston played their A game. No. They've been struggling secretly kind of the last few games. They have been shooting the ball well the last few weeks. And... Since the All-Star break, Isaiah Thomas, he's been good, but he hasn't been otherworldly like he was in January, in December, um, even beginning of February, where he was just missed the fourth quarter, night in, night out, scoring 30 points per game. He His numbers have dipped a little bit, and while it's not bad, he's still playing very well. He's like at 26 points per game since the break. His percentages have dropped, but not that much. But for a player like him, the drop from 30 points per game to 26 points per game is immense, especially for this team, which we didn't talk about much while he was scoring 30 points per game, but they struggle offensively. This is a team where they struggle to find points. And when he's scoring four points per game less night in, night out for a team that struggles on offense otherwise, we're starting to see what the problems that it can cause. Yeah, I agree. And it's something that you don't notice while they're winning, but even while they were winning, it wasn't like they were dominating. No. They were they were pulling games out in the fourth quarter. Right. It, it, it's a heroic effort <laughs> for them to get to that position. So they you never really saw a complete game where they 
from beginning to end, they just straight out dominated. It was like we they kept it close. They had a good defensive battle. And then in the fourth quarter, after being down by eight, they came back. And that's not going to play in the playoffs because you get down like that in the playoffs, you're going to lose. So, right. so yeah, I, I, I guess what, what happened is as all of us did not look at what they were doing. We just said they were playing, they were playing well, you know, they have an MVP on their team, potential MVP on their team, maybe not this year, but future possibly. And so we all were just like, okay, wow, great. But look what we see, what we got. Yeah. I don't think he's an MVP candidate anymore, to be honest, this year. I think he was, I think he was maybe like the fifth name before. I don't even know if that's a lock now. He was playing at a level that was maybe even beyond his ability for a full season, and maybe we're starting to see that as he's kind of slowed down a bit. Like I said, he, he's still playing very well, 26 points per game. Those are amazing numbers. But for this team and for this team to continue to be that potential top seed in the East, that potential threat to a team like Cleveland, he had to he has to remain that 30-point scorer night in and night out. Maybe he's been dialing it back a little to try and, you know, be full force in the playoffs, and we'll see him hit those uh, those numbers again in the playoffs, which will be good for that team. But if uh, this is more, if this is a sign for things to come, where he's gonna be really good but not amazingly elite like he was in in the earlier months of the season, um, this could be a problem for them in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. I, I... I'm curious. I'm very, 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 very curious. But we'll see. We'll see. Right. And whether they'll be the f- first seed or the second seed, um, they're going to have some tough teams to play against because right now there's a dogfight in the East, in the bottom of the East, that is, for the seventh and eighth seeds. There's a, you noticed that, right? Yeah. There's a dogfight. There's a three-team tie right now. Three teams fighting for two spots between the Bulls, Pacers, and the Heat. All of these teams are tied right now at 38 and 40. Um, you know, the Bulls, they've found life now, which was surprising considering uh, Dwayne Wade went down with uh, elbow surgery a couple of weeks ago. But since he's left the lineup, lineup uh, you know, Hoiberg, uh, Jimmy Butler, Rajon Rondo, they've all, you know, found a formula that, that works for them, and they've been winning games, man. Yeah, they're winning games, and I know they're happy to hear that Wade's coming back. Are they, though? You have to be. You have to be. I don't know. And that's not even shade at D-Wade because I really like him, and I still think he's a good player. But there was always something funky about trying to fit those three guys on the court at the same time, that being Rondo, Butler, and Wade. And with Wade being injured, it made everything seem to make more sense in that lineup. Yeah, you, those minutes are now going to other players. You're starting to see more play from, like, Miritich. I mean, he, he's been up and down, but he's getting more burn right now. Butler is able to 
handle the ball more. You're starting to see some more from your other players, you know, whether it's MCW, um, Portis. These are guys who, for times, were getting, you know, healthy DNPs, and now they're actually playing. And they're playing together. Now, it's not the cleanest version of basketball you want to see, and they're not lighting the world on fire, but it just seems that their confidence is up. Yeah. So that's a dangerous team to have confidence. You have some seasoned vets there who have been through some playoff battles. That's where I agree having Wade come back will help this team, especially when it comes into a playoff series, to have Wade, to have Rondo, to have Butler. Those guys have been in Game 7s. Those guys have had dogfights of series before in their experience, and and that's going to come up big against some of these uh higher higher seated teams because you know if they if they end up right now they're slotted in in the seventh in the seventh seed if they were to have that seventh seed and then they go up against boston in the first round i think boston's in for a lot of trouble against that chicago team they are they're in for a lot they're in for a rude awakening yes in fact i think I think even no matter who they place, if, if they if they have to play Chicago, even if they had to play Miami mm. or Indy, it's yeah. not going. Especially when we're talking about how they're playing right now, and you know what we're not getting from Thomas, it ain't going to be easy. And they're in for a dogfight. And and at the end of all this, it's going right back to Ainge about how come he didn't make any play, um, moves in, during the um, the trading de- at the trading deadline. So it's all going to go back to him, why he didn't do anything. Right. So Bulls, they're in seven. Miami is in eighth. And Pacers, they're now on the outside looking in at ninth. Even though the three teams are tied, they're sitting at ninth due to tiebreakers. And I'm, I'm just wondering about this Pacers team. I, I don't know what to make of them. They have this amazing player in Paul George. They have some promising players. They have Miles Turner. Jeff Teague is, you know, has been a pretty good player so far in the league last couple of years. They, you know, they have Thaddeus Young, who's a solid veteran, CJ Miles, solid veteran. They they have, you know, some solid guys and you know, now they they're bringing Lance back in. And and maybe he uh, helps them in some in some areas because I know they were struggling a bit at the two guard position, um, but I gotta say out of those three teams that are fighting for the last two spots, I'm the least scared of that Pacers team. I think if I'm Boston or if I'm Cleveland, that's the team out of those three that I want to play. See, that's disappointing to me because let's go back. Let's go back six seven months on one of our first podcasts i was speaking so confidently about the pacers yeah because i was like okay you got a, a healthy george back they made some moves you got fat you got size you got and, and it was seen that this team was ready to take the next step and now they're they're in ninth like yeah. what happened and it wasn't like you can say okay people were not healthy it was just like what happened and I mean, do you blow it up? Do you what do you do? But either way, um, I mean, it's too late for them to get it all together now. So, 
I've yeah, out of those three teams, they they're not the most scariest teams. You would think that George would be able to take it to another notch. In fact, what was it? Earlier this week they played on um, the Cavs and that was a good game. It was a great game. That was a real I mean, yeah, George has up. always played well against LeBron. He's he's always he's always had good matchups with him. Even stemming to when he was uh, a relatively unknown guy when when the Pacers first started battling with the Heat uh, a couple few years ago, um, he's always he's always risen to that uh, to that occasion, and he did again uh, a couple nights ago. They have the best player out of those three teams. But yet, they're not the most dangerous team to me. And that's scary. That's crazy. It is. It is. Like you said, Chicago, I think they can be a real problem for uh, especially the Celtics. They'll fight with the Cavs. They won't make it easy for the Cavs either. You know, you got Wade. You know, he's he's going to want to make sure LeBron has to at least go a game or two longer than he wants to in that series. Jimmy Butler has always uh, been a good guy to put up against LeBron. Rondo, you know, he has a long history of, you know, getting under the Cavs skin, the Heat skin, whatever team uh, LeBron was on. So these guys all have the ability to make it very difficult for LeBron and the Cavs. Um, And the Heat, you know, there's a doubt... There's a lot going right for the Heat right now. They have they have a player that neither the Celtics or the Cavs want to have to try and match up with in Hassan Whiteside, and they also have they're also a team that if you're Boston, who do you hide Isaiah Thomas on, and if you're Cleveland, who do you hide Kyrie Irving on because Goran Dragic is going to take it to either of those guys. And it's not like you have it easy on any of any of the other positions on that on that starting lineup either. So when you look at Miami, you look at Chicago; those look like the teams that are gonna give the best fight in the playoffs and are better poised to do some real damage. Yeah, I agree with that absolutely. The only question I have then is with Chicago. We talked about the Cavs being able to flip the switch and just start kicking and playing on all cylinders can uh, a trio of Rondo, Butler and Wade do the same? Well that's what the front office was banking on when they signed Wade and Rondo last summer and they've taken a weird road to get to get here but you know here they are probably if they're in the seventh seed that's probably what you could have expected from them anyway best case scenario uh, you know maybe you might have thought they could be a five or six seed but to me seven seeds not that much different and now this is base. this is basically what what they got paid for they got paid for playoff time crunch time to be those uh be those big time players uh to help them get some wins in the playoffs right so It'll be interesting. You said we have, what, four games left of the season. So in a matter of these four games, by the time we have our next pod, there will be some clarity. There will be some playoff matchups set. So I'm looking forward to talking to you about this next week. Oh, yeah. We're definitely going to have a playoff preview next week. Um, And all of the 
all the matchups will be will be set by then so there won't be any more speculating we'll know who's playing who and we can really get into the uh, nitty-gritty of of all of these matchups but it's definitely an interesting uh, it's definitely an interesting race right now at the bottom of the east Cavs are looking like they might hold on to that that number one seed you know there's still four games to go let's see how they close out the season versus how Boston does uh, another team that's rising slightly is the Raptors. They uh, recently overtook the Wizards for third third seed in the East, and that's going to be big. And I think I think both teams are going to tr- be trying to do whatever they can to hold on to that three seed because the three seed gets to play the Atlanta Hawks right now, who are sixth. Whereas whoever has the four seed has to play the Milwaukee Bucks. And the Greek freak Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yep, I know you had to say the name. Have yeah, to. you have to. Yeah, yeah. That you want the third seed. You want to play play Atlanta. I, yeah. I don't see many people having too much trouble with Atlanta. As crazy as it is, I think Atlanta's probably the easiest team to to play in the East right now. I think so too, and it's just weird because you know they are the sixth seed. They're a game behind Milwaukee for the fifth seed. Um, I mean, they were the fifth seed up until last week, and Milwaukee's just been playing so good lately, which has to be scary to a lot of these teams, especially Toronto and Washington, whoever might end up with the fourth seed. This is a team that's really figured some things out. Um, they lost Jabari Parker, but getting Chris Middleton was really a big addition. It, it, it turned out to be bigger than the loss of Parker, and they were really figuring out a lot of things and Jason Kidd, you know, I think he's a good coach, you know. I know there was a lot of uh, backlash when he left Brooklyn and he went over to Milwaukee, but, you know, the guy can coach. And that's a, t- that's a team and that's a defense where you don't want to play those guys for six, seven games in the playoff series. No, not at all. And But let me ask you this. Do you think Atlanta can actually fall out of, fall out of the playoffs? I don't think that's possible. Is there enough games left for that to happen? Oh, yeah. Four games, and they're only a game and a half up Mm. on the next two. And do you know their schedule? (laughs) I think you do when you're ready to tell me. Oh, I have to tell you. (laughs) Friday at Cleveland. Mm. Sunday at home against Cleveland mm. Tuesday against Charlotte mm-hmm. and then Wednesday against Indy so that that last game against Indy could say it all huh yep and in the last 10 Atlanta is 2 for 8 2 and 8 in the last 10 games that's, that's a bold strategy Cotton <laughs> <laughs> see how it pays off <laughs> uh, going two for, two and eight in your last ten, ten games, uh, that's not exactly the recipe for success as you enter the playoffs. So yeah, so there's a chance that the, that those three teams that we talked about before they, they could all, all can make, make it, the <laughs> and then Atlanta ends up playing. Oh my god! Thanks to Atlanta. Well, no offense, Atlanta fans, but. If that would if that would happen, I think that would be great. 
because I think everyone would get the teams they want to see in the playoffs, one through eight in the East. Yeah, exactly. Only good thing they have going for them right now is that they're playing Boston right now, and at halftime they're winning. That's Atlanta. That's Atlanta. Yeah, Boston. Come on, you got to get it together, Boston. What we said, it's not the fourth quarter yet. That's true. And this Hawks team is not inspiring any confidence going two and eight in their last ten. But this is what I mean about them. They're they're not looking like a threatening team, a dangerous team. And they're not playing like one. They're playing like a team that, you know, is looking looking at themselves with one foot out the door. This is a team that was at a crossroads in the middle of the season. There was a ton of Paul Millsap rumors. Uh, Paul Millsap to Atlanta was the big one. We were talking about it on our podcast about how Millsap would be the perfect fit in Toronto. Makes a ton of sense. Made sense for Atlanta too because they need to move forward. They went on a little bit of a win streak and then they they pulled the offers out. They decided to stick with what they have. And I think maybe they might be regretting that now as they look at how this team is finishing off the season. Oh, yeah. They have to regret it. And you look at Atlanta, you don't expect Atlanta to play like this. But that's what it is. I don't know. This is exactly how I expected Atlanta to play. This is how you you expected them to play? Yeah. Because... Uh, I thought that would be a little bit better than this. they They gave a bunch of money to Dwight Howard in replacement of Al Horford. At this point in their careers, that was a drop-off to me, especially on the offensive end. And then you let Teague go so that Schroeder can be your starting point guard, but they never really signed a competent point guard as Schroeder insurance in case he wasn't ready to take the reins. And you know what? He he's a pretty good player. He's a good scorer, but he clearly hasn't been the point guard they needed him to be in that team. And then they gave a lot of money to Bazemore, who hasn't who hasn't um, fulfilled that promise. Yeah, I would have never given him that kind of money. But I think after losing Horford, I think they had no choice. Yeah, and the other thing with Bazemore is it's, a, it's a kind of like the Damari Carroll situation. Damari yeah. Carroll came out of nowhere for that team, for the Atlanta team, and then it was time to pay him. They didn't pay him. They let Toronto pay him, and we see how that contract gone for Toronto. Hasn't really been the best of deals for them. He's been injured. He just hasn't really looked like he did that one season in Atlanta. Bazemore, he has that, that one good season last year in Atlanta. I mean, he had put up some numbers the year before with the Lakers, but this was the first year he was doing it on a playoff team. And now this year he's fallen back down to earth. And then, you know, now Tim Hardaway is basically the Kent Bazemore of the team this year. And now they're going to have to decide, are they going to pay him or are they going to let him go and let some other team pay him? They keep having this this uh, this situation with this type of player, it seems. And they don't seem to get go beyond that player. Like, that's great for uh, a 3 and D small forward player, but... They, they never seem to get the, like, shooting guard that also complements that. And they don't really build a strong enough bench for you to think that they can be a contender in the East year after year. See, that's what that's another philosophy I have when it comes to, like, those shooting guards and small forwards. You're going to get a nice 
season out of them when it comes time for their contract year. But you're never going to see them live up to that. To that. You got Bazemore. I mean, Hardaway's up. We've been saying all year Hardaway needed to get some some burn. In the beginning of the year, he didn't. But now he's playing. But, again, he's another one of those players. It's a whole category of players. And the only player so far that I feel a little apologetic towards who I put in that category was Chris Middleton. He's actually playing well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I usually put players like P.J. Tucker, another guy who I have in that category of, you know, you never know what you're going to get day in, day out. One game you're going to get awesome performance, but they're in that shooting guard, small forward area that I don't even call them specialty players. They're just players who are able to contribute, but you give them a bunch of money and they're not going to live up to it. They're like Swiss Army knife guys in, in a way. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. If if you go in and they score two points, they get off the floor and you say you did good, you had good defense today. And if they <laughs> and if they totally mess up, you know you got to find something good to say about them and give them a kind. They're a good body. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that's and that's the thing with Atlanta, and they seem to constantly get those players, but they don't focus on the other areas of the court that they need in order to get to the next level. It seems like they just keep cycling those three and D Swiss army knife type players. And they never develop any of them beyond that to where they're like, you know, a consistent threat as a two guard or a small forward or a stretch four or anything like that. So that's the problem with them. They got to learn how to keep the, the the players that they have that they develop. They got to keep those players and they don't. Possibly, uh, but they kept ba- they kept Bazemore, and then that didn't work out. They didn't they didn't keep Carroll. That actually worked out for them not keeping Carroll. So I don't I don't know. Maybe maybe they kind of have the right idea in that respect. They're just not building a complete team, and they're not building a team that makes you want to watch them. Like aesthetically, it's not a team I just want to sit down and watch. And they're building a team that can compete. But are they? But they're not. They're the, right now. So today they're in the playoffs, and I'm not sure whether or not that's because of how they're playing or how the rest of the league is playing. But as of right now, they're standing in what sixth place. I mean, being competitive last year, they didn't. They made some some questionable moves by losing Teague and by not signing Horford, but they just stay in this position. And right, that's that's I don't what I'm know, saying. Good coaching. Even go back ten years ago when you know Joe Smith and Josh Smith and Joe Johnson were were the highlights on that team. This is the same place they were in then. They were like a five seed, maybe a four seed, at best. You know, here we are ten years later. New front office, new head coach, new main players, new stars on the team. They're still the same. But they never take those. They never took those players and said, "All right, we're gonna ride out with you." I mean, Joe Johnson. They gave him a horrible contract, and from the yeah. moment they gave him that contract, they gave him two horrible they were, contracts. It's like, they, yeah, and they were like, "Look, we got to try to get." And as soon as the Nets said, "We'll take the contract," they were like, "We'll take him," mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. But you know, Josh Smith. I mean, he had a good niche on that team. He he played well. Um, 
Horford. These are guys they had on the team, and they're gone. I think Horford you know, was the guy. Imagine they to kept keep. these players. Yeah, I think Horford was the guy to keep yeah, there. Horford, Horford maybe oh, yeah, even I Teague. I think maybe Teague they should have kept as well. I think that was the foundation of that team, and you know. And I also think we were spending way too much time talking about the Atlanta Hawks at this point. <laughs> yeah, I've never, man. Let's stop right now. Hard stop on Atlanta. Come hard, on. hard stop. Sorry, Atlanta. Hope you end up as the number nineteen in the East. <laughs> yeah, hope you're in the lottery. And if you're in the lottery, we'll talk about you again soon. You know, but we were talking about some things with Atlanta, like philosophy, and you know what kind of team they're building. And I think something we do want to talk about at this point before the award season gets rolling is one award we haven't really talked about all season, and that and that's Coach of the Year. And I think there's a lot of good candidates for Coach of the Year. Um, I know you you were talking you were agreeing with me as well. Uh, who are your who are your top top nominees for that award this year? Okay, so I have let me see. So my top the one who I think should win is Dan Tony. Mike D'Antoni. Okay. Oh, I, mean, I mean, I think Pop has a good case, so I will never take Pop out of there. I think it's between Pop and D'Antoni, in my opinion. I see that. I can see that. I can see the D'Antoni case. Uh, Houston has really turned itself around this year. They went from a very disappointing team last year to now a top three team in the West, and depending who you ask, a possible contender um, to reach the NBA Finals. So, the, yeah, you know, the D'Antoni effect, it's there. We all knew that he can reinvigorate an offense, and that's what he did this year. He got hardened back to MVP form, um, and he did a lot of good for the team. I wasn't going to go with D'Antoni, per se, um, just because, me personally, I'm not a D'Antoni guy, so it's hard for me to put him up for coach of the year. I know, you don't like him. Not too much, no. But a name I would, two names I was thinking of, maybe even three. Um, one of them was I think you gotta, I think you gotta think about Scott Brooks a lot when you're talking about Coach of the Year. I knew you were gonna say that. He's been doing a great job. He's done a great job. Um, you know, it started off shaky at first. The team started at two and eight, and people were wondering, oh, you know, is this guy gonna be worse than Randy Whitman? And uh, there was a lot of negativity about Scott Brooks because of how he left Oklahoma City, and people were, you know, examining a lot of his faults as a coach, you know. But he's come in here, and he's shown what he does very well. He develops young players. He make gets the most out of the players that you give him, and that's what's happened in Washington. They've gone from an underachieving team to, you know, a top four, top three team in the East. And John Wall has looked amazing playing in Scott Brooks' system. Uh, him and Brandy, Brad, Bradley Beal have, have looked great playing together on the court. You know, people thought that perhaps they don't get along anymore, but Scott Brooks has got them working together. Um, he's come up with some lineups that are very interesting. You know, he's been getting a lot out of guys like Otto Porter and Kelly Oubre, uh, players that the fans base thought maybe were bust since they weren't be able or they weren't doing anything since they had been drafted. Scott Brooks has got a lot out of those guys. 
Rakeef Morris, Goytat, they're all playing their roles. I think he's done a great job in the East, and I think Quinn Snyder, the coach for the Jazz, is another good candidate, you know, for that Jazz team to be a top-four team in the West, especially with all the injuries that they had this year. I think it says a lot about the work that he's done as a coach there. So those are my top two guys. Uh, my dark horse guy would be maybe Spolstra if they make the playoffs. Hmm. Okay. All right. So I think your choices are good. You're not going to see me say anything bad about your choices. I do like the Spolstra one. I didn't even think about it from that angle. Yeah, and... but it's, it's a caveat. It has caveats to it because – it's going to be hard to give him coach of the year if he doesn't even make the playoffs. Right. Right. But the turnaround is significant. You know, he he took what he had. It wasn't like they got new players. It wasn't like they made a big blockbuster trade. You know, he, he sat down with that team. He assessed their weaknesses. He adjusted for that. And they went from being one of the worst teams in the East to literally one of the best teams in the East since January. True, true. So I think you got to give him a lot of credit for that. You do. So I agree with your choice. I like your choices. Um, I'm still sticking with my my Dan Tony choice. I know why you don't. I know why you don't care for him. <laughs> um, Laker fan. <laughs> um, and how the Suns and. Many of the Suns and Lakers history. So I understand that. No problem with that. Um, but let's say you had no issues with D'Antoni and D'Antoni was a coach and had Harden playing at this level. What would you say then? If it, if his name wasn't Mike D'Antoni? All, bias, all biases aside with Mike D'Antoni, what has he done this year that we haven't seen him do before to really get the campaign going for him to be coach of the year? See, so that's the thing, though. You know, you're saying you need him to do something else, and I no. See, but this I is why I'm saying that because he had very great, he had very very good teams with the Suns. You know, he had some great seasons with them, but. I think with D'Antoni, the other shoe you're still waiting to drop with him is what happens in the playoffs. Is I, I, is he? I think that's unfair. <laughs> that's fine. That's this is just me, and this is I'm not. This isn't even me trying. This is this is me putting away my biases and just just realizing, just thinking about has he. And I think it's fair to do that with coaches, any coach. If a coach has had a certain level of success and it's a success he's seen before, if you want him to be nominated for coach of the year, you got you want to see what's new. What 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 has he done? How has he evolved as a coach? And I know you put Pop in there and Pop's always going to be a candidate because he, he wins 60 games every year, it seems like. And I think with Pop, you can at least point to the new wrinkle of this is the first year and I don't know how many years where he's only really got one star on that team. And he and without Duncan. It's no Duncan. 
He's got a shell of Manu Ginobili. He's got a shell of Tony Parker. He's somehow created a top defense with his big men being Pau Gasol and LaMarcus Aldridge. And he's made all of this work while, for the first time in I don't know how many years, centering an offense on one person. Kawhi Leonard is doing isos. When's the last time you saw the Spurs be a team that any player does isos in the, in the Never. offense? Never happened. And despite those necessities that he that he's had to face as a realization this season, there's still a 62-win team this year. So exactly. I can at least say, okay, there you go. That's why Pop is a candidate again. Then Tony... His main case right now is the turnaround that Houston has had from last year to this year. But at the same time, two years ago with Kevin McHale, this team was just as good. They were different, but just as good. And it was a unnecessary revolt in the locker room last year where you had bad influences like Dwight Howard and Ty Lawson that led to Kevin McHale being fired where you had the tumultuous season that they did and they needed to bring in a new coach which was Dan Tony. So I that's not that he shouldn't get knocked for that per se but it's kind of hard to say he turned the program around so to speak when this was a program that severely underperformed last year. Is my point. So, okay. So, is your thing saying that you have to, I mean, as a coach of the year, you have to bring something different to the table than you brought before? I think so. If you're talking about coach of the year, I think if you're talking about coach of the year, I think you either have to have just destroyed the league yet again or you've you've brought something new or you've dealt with something new as a coach and still found the same success if not more success i understand what you're saying and i and and i don't fully agree with it but i understand why you or others will have that viewpoint i i think when you have you have to look at coach of the year you have to look at the body of work presented right in front of you and you have to look at what has Dan Tony done, or any coach for that matter, with the part he has been given. And yes, this is the same team that Mikel had two years ago. This was the same team from last year. They got the team this year. And somehow, you know, they got better. He's pulling stuff out. He went to Harden and said, Harden, you're going to be a point guard. And he's unlocked you know, Harden in a way that's remarkable. They're playing well. I mean, we never, I mean, defense aside, <laughs> it's never one of his strengths. But you have a team who is shooting lights out behind the, behind the arc. And, I mean, he has them playing. He's, he's had to adapt in a way. I mean, it, it, it works. His, Oh, okay, I think how has he had to adapt? That's interesting. I want I want you to I want you to explain how he's had to adapt. He's had <laughs> good question. He's had to. <laughs> I mean, he's had he's had a change. He's had to learn. I mean, granted, 
the style that he was playing before, um, it seemed like it was getting long in the tooth, especially after his last stop in L.A. I didn't think he was going to coach again. I don't know if you thought the same thing. Um, I, thought- I wasn't sure. But, but I want to stop you right there because you, you said the system was looking long in the tooth. And that Lakers season was atrocious by all measures. Of right. any of anything you want to say it was, it was bad. It was bad. But at the same time, that was another situation, much like the situation in New York, where he didn't have the ideal roster. And, you know, this is the problem with Mike D'Antoni, and this is what I come back to. When he doesn't have the optimal situation and the players he wants in the roster... We see the New York Knicks D'Antoni. We see the L.A. Lakers D'Antoni. This year, we're seeing a very amazing version of Mike D'Antoni. But that's because Daryl Morey has given him all the players that he would want in his system. He's got okay. he's got a ton of three-point shooting, a ton of guys that just want to space and run run out on the court and just go, go, go. You know what? Defense is optional. He, there's there's not one half-court player on that team. You know, you gave him Eric Gordon, catch-and-shoot specialist, especially now at this point in his career. Ryan Anderson. Ryan Anderson has was the ideal stretch four before having stretch four became a thing. You know, then in the middle season, get him a guy like Lou Williams. That's like when he had Barbosa on the Suns, instant offense off the bench. So you give him these guys, and then you give him like a bulldog like Beverly who can shoot threes, much like Raja Bell in the past. And then you give him a, a big like Capella who just wants to roll to the rim and run pick and rolls all the time. There's no one on that roster that he's had to massage, or there's no there's no wrinkle in that roster that he's had to massage and try to compensate with in a new way. Even even the wrinkle of James Harden playing point guard was not really outlandish when you think about it. James Harden has always been a facilitator. He's always been the type of player that's going to give you five to six, even seven assists in, in a season, even without running an offense like this, because that's the type of player he is. He always has the ball in his hands, and he does a lot of different things for, for the team. So making him the point guard was just kind of a nominal thing, I think, at that point. Because you weren't really going to entrust Patrick Beverly to run the offense anyway. No coach did before that. Harden always ran the offense. So I, I just, I just want to see, I just want to know where in this scenario did D'Antoni really have to show off his coaching chops? He got the team he wanted. You give that team to anyone else, and they probably would not be where they are right now. And so you gave an excellent case of why Maury should be executive of the year for sure. giving for giving no problem with that. the players he needed. And he's taken those players, and he has played and showed full potential of what his system can do. In L.A. and in New York, he did not get those players. He didn't have the players he needed to run the system he wanted to play. And so, yeah, I mean, you had, in L.A., you had, what, Nash and Kobe and Dwight. I mean, that's not a system that fits him. That's not, that's not the team he needs. 
But now he comes over here and he gets the team that's doing exactly what he needs, spacing the floor, got your three-point shooters. And then, by the way, at the deadline, you get Lou Williams and he steps right in and, again, just picking right up. I mean, these are the same – some of these guys are the same players who were on this team before, talking about Ariza and um, and whatnot. These guys are still playing well. They're playing at a higher level. Harden's playing at – I would say the highest level he's played at since he's been in the NBA. Come on now. I mean, what else? <laughs> he's playing. He's, he's coaching his team. He is coaching he, his he's team. Coaching, he's coaching his team. He's coaching it well. And you have to give credit. Anyone else given these players probably would not have them playing at this level. That's and if fair. You give this, but, and it's fair. You give this team to somebody else, and I promise you, they will probably be a six, seven seed. He yes. comes in there. He has them running this this offense, and now he has these three point shooters, and it's a very fast paced stretch the floor. As the podcast would like to say, pace and space. Mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. should be, and true definition of the name of this podcast, the coach of the year. I hear what you're saying. You give another coach these players, they don't do as well. But at this. But to counter that, how many coaches in the NBA would fail if they got the players that they wanted? How many? Yeah. Oh. Huh. Most most of these coaches don't get the ideal roster handed to them. They get guys that maybe the owner wants or, you know, they come into a situation where they're rebuilding and they got to they gotta develop these guys and and turn them into the players they need them to be it's not it's not always a scenario where you just get get whatever player you need for your system but this is the rare occurrence where you do because because maury is a he's very heavy on the analytics he's very heavy on you like we were the things we were talking about pace speed of the game ball movement three-pointers, these are all the things that D'Antoni's whole coaching philosophy is about. So it's, in some ways, a perfect marriage when you when you put Maury and D'Antoni together in an organization. You, most teams don't have that scenario. The GM thinks a guy is good, and he, put, and he brings him on. Some guys, they confer with their coaches, but not all the time. And... Most coaches, when they come into a situation, they are, are going to inherit player inherit players where you have to say make it work with them. Billy Donovan had to do that. Brad Stevens had to do that. You know, um, Rick Carlisle seems to have to do that year after year, um, and it, it goes on so on and so forth. And here, this is not really the case. I think if you left. That team, how it was last year, you don't give him Ryan Anderson, you don't give him Eric Gordon, you don't give him Patrick Beverly. Say you give him like other guys like, you know, Serge Ibaka and Aaron Gordon in a trade or something like that. Are they going to be as good? Is he still going to be able to make the offense work? Is he going to find new wrinkles to adjust? That that's the that's the thing I don't know when it comes to D'Antoni. I understand, and I still, I, I still can't change. I, I still think, as a as a coach, he yes, he has been given the players he wants. Everyone doesn't walk into that opportunity. 
and you even have coaches who will be given who who are given the players that they want who are given that that opportunity to make those decisions you know right now we have a lot of these coaches in the nba you know doc and stan van gundy and thibs who aren't just the coach but also have a spot who also play the gm role who can get these players and are still not doing as well as dan tony's doing this year and granted yes maury give that give him credit executive of the year no problem but him giving the players he wants it's a great return on the investment for more. He's looking at this team right now and saying, Dan Tony is giving me exactly what we expected him to give us. He's oh. putting us in a position. Oh yeah, of course he is. I agree with that. So, so I think you have to take it now. Now with your other coach of the year candidate, Scott Brooks, again, great candidate, great opportunity. You know, he's doing a great job. He has them playing well. He has them in a position right now. They're, or fourth in the East, mm-hmm. the, the Washington's doing great, and they they stepped it up. Um, so I don't take anything from Scott Brooks. In fact, Scott Brooks is proving something to me because I before will always say that Scott Brooks really was the beneficiary of being on OKC and having these having Durant and Westbrook and Abaka and for a time Harden and he was a beneficiary of having those and he's showing that now he's able to put it all together in Washington so I give him credit for that you know Snyder doing well to me that's also a product of the players just growing and getting better but D'Antoni I can't take it away from D'Antoni I think it's D'Antoni's award to lose right now in my opinion that's interesting. And I hear what you're saying about Snyder and Brooks, but these are also guys that they they developed these guys. I know you said that Brooks was fortunate to have Durant and Westbrook and Harden, but those guys also developed into being the elite players they are under coach under Scott Brooks's coaching. I'm not saying he made them superstars, but what I am saying is those guys develop developed from the time they were drafted to the, the time Brooks left. That that was their coach like the entire time in that window. Right. And well, well, yeah, yeah. What I'm what I'm what I'm saying is I'm not saying that you know he. I'm saying that's how I looked at it before. Mm, okay. And what he's doing is he's proving me wrong. Okay. Making me see like you know what. Maybe he just wasn't that coach who was in there and just was have just had these players. And I recognize now that yes, he had a role to play in that, and we can see that clearly this year. So mm-hmm. that's what I'm saying. So I agree with you. I agree that yes, he had a role in the development of Durant and and all those other players, Westbrook and so on. So yeah, I agree with that. Some heated debate over coach of the year this evening on the pace and space podcast ladies and gentlemen it's good debate is good we can't always agree we need we need to disagree that's what makes good podcasting right especially when you're wrong 75 percent of the time you know sometimes we gotta go in there and Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. i like that i like that and i admit when i'm wrong you know i was wrong about the whole scott brooks thing i was wrong about the Kawhi thing see i can remember those two scenarios because i so proudly just say it and i'm so humble i just admit it you know but it doesn't happen too often but i'm i'll be quick to tell you 
<laughs> That's good. Very good for you. Very good. For you. <laughs> All right, but you know, before we go, one other thing we got to get into, and we got to do it today because if we don't do it today, we're not gonna have time to do it. Next week, we gotta we gotta talk playoffs, and then after that. All of these things will be announced, so the good people that listen to this podcast will have heard our prognostications on them. And that is the All-NBA team. So now, for everyone listening, m- me and Leif, we don't know each other's picks for the All-NBA team. We're going to surprise each other right now. We're going to do the first, second, and third teams, and then we're going to discuss our choices. So when you hear our choices... This is also the first time we're hearing each other's choices as well. So this will be interesting. Now, before the show, Leif has said for me to go first. Now, before I do, do you want me to just start with the first team or do you want me to go with through all three teams before you go? I want you to start with just the first team. Just the first team. Okay. So for my first team, I have... These are kind of no-brainers, I think. Westbrook, Harden, Kawhi, LeBron... And for center, I put Anthony Davis. I cheated I, a little bit. I had the same exact thing. Okay, so, wow. There you go. Same exact Perfect. five. So now let's get into the interesting part. Because for the second team, I have Steph Curry and John Wall as my two guards. I have Giannis and Kevin Durant as my two forwards. And I have Rudy Gobert as my starting center. Ooh. What do you got? I have Curry. I have Thomas. Mm. Durant. Giannis. And then I have Cousins. Cousins. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. I'm going to be honest. Cousins is not on any of my teams. Wow. Woo. Yeah. Okay. It's tough okay. out here. It's cold world. Cold world. So here's my third team. For my third team, I got Isaiah Thomas, uh-huh. Damian Lillard as my two guards. Okay. Gordon Hayward. Okay. Jimmy Butler as my forwards. And Marcus Gasol as my center. Wow. Wow. Okay. 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 What you got? All right. And my third on my third team, I have Wolf have Lowry I have Butler Hayward and I have Gobert Gobert okay so some differences in here some differences this is good this is good um who was your 13 forwards Hayward and who Hayward and Butler and Butler okay and you had Lowry yeah yeah I don't know it's, it's tough I, I felt like guards there's just a lot of options at guard and a lot of options at forward it was just it's hard to pick. Yeah, I really wanted to put Dame in there. Dame would have been on my fourth team. I think the only problem is um, I try to think about with Lowry. He was hurt for a good part of the year, but at the same time, I mean, he was putting in work, <laughs> and I and I and I can't overlook what he what he's been doing. So I had to put him in there somewhere. And Wall, Wall was on your second team, right? Yeah. So we basically flipped uh, Thomas and Wall. Yeah, that that was another tough one because I like Wall a lot. Um, I just I just feel like Thomas has been doing some some work. I know we spoke about him early in the pod how he's slipping a little bit, but oh, he's still up I there. Still a, he's still up he's there. He's still up there. I had to put him up there. 
Um, um, and everything else we were pretty good with. I'm, I'm curious, why do you, why not Cousins? Why not Cousins? He has strong numbers. Hmm. I guess for me, it's just it, it was just a lot of uh, the drama. I guess all the drama, you know, around Cousins this year, and maybe that's not a good reason, but. At the same time, I looked at these other candidates and Gobert, I felt like you had to put Gobert in one of these three teams. He's potentially the defensive player of the year and he's been a rock for that Utah team, double-doubles every night. Um, and and then I went with Marcus Gasol because Marcus Gasol is having an amazing season He's scoring at a one of his highest clips, you know. He's still doing really great on the defensive end, and he's been a pretty good three-point shooter as well this year, adding that wrinkle to his game. Uh, I just thought, I just thought you had to put him in there because you know where are the Grizzlies without Marcus Hall this year? That's true. I mean, I mean at this point, all these big guys are shooting threes now, right? That's like the newest thing yeah but he's doing it effectively and he's done it in a way where it doesn't take away from his inside presence which i think is key because a lot of guys they shoot threes now like even cousins cousins shoots threes now too but i think some of them do it to the detriment of their presence inside right i can see that and gasol has still been a really good defensive player for the for the grizzlies while becoming this three-point shooter and I think that's important, and you know, they're a good team this year. You know, um, the big omission that I think both of us had was was Draymond Green. I I'm gonna tell you something about Draymond on my list. I had him on the second team, and then I crossed him out. Then I put him on the third team, and then I crossed him out. Mm-hmm. And and I considered him for, you know. Defensive player of the year, that's what he wants. But I can't give it to him. I can't. So I don't know. He's just. I don't think he's having the season he thinks he is, or a lot of people in general think he is. I think when you. To put him on the All NBA team, and I know it can't all be about the numbers, but when you look at his numbers, it's hard to justify putting him over most of these other forwards we have on the list with the numbers that he has. And I think we agreed on all our forwards. Yeah, all our forwards, we were spot on. Yeah, we did agree on all our forwards. And I, I had to put Hayward in there. Is you know, he's the best player on that Utah team that's a top four seed in the West. I feel like you gotta you, you gotta give him credit there over some other guys. Paul George He's a more talented player than Gordon Hayward, but he's not having the season you would expect from him, um, and his team is not having the season you expected them to have. So it's kind of hard to put him on this All-NBA list with those factors in mind. Um, Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Butler, is, as for a lot of this season, has been like the main reason the Bulls are even keeping their head. They keep, we're even keeping their heads afloat in the East. 
Butler actually was the hardest person for me to put in this list. Who are you thinking of putting over him? Green. Draymond. I, I, I had I had Draymond. Um, I was saying maybe him. And for a second, I had you know, Thompson. I said, no, nah, I can't do that. Clay Thompson? Um, for a second. I thought maybe I could squeeze him in there. I said, nah, I can't do that. It's crazy. Um, I don't know. He, it, It's just something about him that makes me think twice about him. Hmm. But but yeah, I, I had to put Butler in there. Um, yeah, and do you have any on other honorable mentions? Carlton Towns, I think that's, a, list. that's yeah. an honorable mention right there. Carlton Towns, um, Demar Derozan. Wow, you know what? That is true. That's a good one. I that honestly, I was thinking of putting him in b- before I even thought of putting Lowry in. Wow, wow, wow. Because he's had an amazing season. And even during, you know, Lowry's absence with injury, he was, you know, really putting in work for the Raptors, keeping the keeping them afloat, helping them uh, stay, you know, top four in the East. So I, I he definitely gets honorable mention. So Towns, DeRozan, we already but mentioned. And DeRozan okay. will be a, a shooting, it's just, he's a shooting guard. DeRozan's shooting guard, yeah. So, so I was thinking of him maybe over Lillard, but Lillard's having an amazing season. No one's talking about it, but he's he's putting up some video game numbers himself this year. Yeah, I had Carl Anthony Towns. I put DeAndre Jordan up there. Mm, no, you know who I would have put before DeAndre Jordan? In all honesty, Nikola Jokic. I thought about him. I really, really did. I went back to the article that you put together, and I said, let me think about this. I was thinking about the numbers, and I said, you know what? I think next year he's going to be solid on this list, but I couldn't do it this year. I think he's an honorable mention. Yeah, it was hard to do it this year, um, especially with you know names like Gobert, Marcus All, Towns, Anthony Davis, Cousins. It was hard to put him on the list, um, but he, it's you know, it's a tough list. It's a, it's a really tough list this year. I mean, you've got some guys, you know. There's other guys we haven't even mentioned, like Chris Paul, not, not even mentioned. Blake Griffin, not even mentioned. Um, you know, we talked about how Paul George isn't on this list. You know, other guys that have been on this list before, just not even being considered. Dirk, Melo. It's just hard this year. Real hard. Al Horford, Paul Millsap. We're going to get some guys, some new guys up here. I think Devin Booker is going to find himself up here soon. I think he's got a couple more years to go. I don't don't think any of these guards are falling off enough in in the next two or three years for Booker to just, you know, step on in. He, if he does, if he does, jump any of these guys to get in the all nba list he must be having an amazing season yeah this, yeah, this first team is not changing this is probably the first team for next year too probably yeah i mean though yeah there's there's nothing on this first team that's changing unless Giannis Second, somehow hits that next level maybe unless Giannis or durant well you know we got durant and Giannis on the second team 
what I, mean, I would say at least one of those guys is gonna be worthy of the first team next year. You know what? I would like to see that first team against the second team. Just five on five pickup ball. Just five on five pickup ball. That's not. A, I don't know who would win that. In all honesty, think about the size and length of Durant and Giannis and Gobert. <laughs> and oh, that's what you're like. I ain't Gobert. I'll put. I'll, I'll put him there. I'll put him for the sake of this, for this for this discussion. I'll put Gobert there against Kawhi and LeBron and Davis. Oof. Yeah. yeah. Almost want to get 2K and put that together and see what happens. Exactly right. <laughs> but you know what? Um, those are our list. Um, I wanted to do something a little different this this week. For anybody listening, if you liked our list, disliked our list, anything you disagree with, you want to just tell us your own All NBA list. Tweet at us at the SL Reporter and use the hashtag PaceNBA. P-A-C-E-M-B-A and tell us your thoughts on these all MBA lists that me and Leif made. How's that sound, Leif? Sounds awesome. And hopefully you guys do. You know, we always enjoy talking, me and Leif. We do this because it's fun. You know, we're not, uh, we don't have a vote on the coach of the year. We don't have a vote on the all MBA, but we're fans and, you know, like any other, like any other fan, we like coming up with our own list and we just wanted to get out, get those out for you guys to listen to this evening. Um, but of course, you always you know where to find us. You can find us on Twitter at the SL Reporter. You can find me at Caldan three eight four. You can find Leif at LDB Creations. Also, you can check us out on Facebook. We're on facebookcom Reporter. That's all one word, Reporter. and if you're enjoying the pod, you can find us on SoundCloud. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher. You can find us on Google Play Store. And, you know, and please, if you're on SoundCloud, send us a comment. Let us know how you enjoy the episode. iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review for us. Same with Stitcher, rate and review. Subscribe if you like. Just let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter. Put a comment on our Facebook page. We want to hear how we're doing, guys. If you have any questions you want us to answer on an upcoming episode, drop that in. You can find, you can do it on Twitter. You can do it on Facebook. Do do whatever works best for you guys, and and really just just talk to us. Let us know what's going on, how we're doing with this. So as always, thanks, late for talking with me tonight, man. It's been a pleasure. Always, man. Everyone, you have a good one. Ciao.